Cue the fancy intro music. This is Creative Freedom, empowerment for creative entrepreneurs, where can-do inspiration and how-to education collide to help you own your dreams without selling your soul. Creative Freedom gives you the tips, tools, and resources you need to define and achieve success on your own terms, so you can make great money doing what you love and have the time and freedom to enjoy it. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Lisa Robin Young. Let's get started. Pivot. It was one of the biggest buzzwords of 2020, thanks to the pandemic that shall not be named, putting a monkey wrench into everyone's plans. Not to brag, but I've been pivoting since before it was cool. Actually, has it ever been cool? I don't know. I've probably done the pivot uh, five or ten times in my nearly 30 years online. I mean, nothing lasts forever. And the only constant is change, right? (laughs) Well, remember last episode when I talked about how Taylor Swift pivoted to a new music genre? She's not the only one. Fine artist Henri Matisse and lots of companies have started down one path, decided it's not working for them, or has stopped working for them, and turned to something new. We're going to highlight a few of them today, and I'll post a link in the show notes to a list of 15 famous companies that got their start selling something else. So yes, pivots are a thing, and they absolutely can be done successfully. But how do you know if it is, in fact, time to pivot? That's where we're headed today. This is your reminder to pop over to creativefreedomshow.com, click into the free Rising Tide learning area, and grab the downloadable for this episode that will help you collect all your thoughts in one place. Membership is free. You just need to do it. So get to it. (laughs) There's one thing that I want to bring up as we jump in, and it's a mindset piece and a bit of a warning. It can be very tempting to get all judgy about making a pivot. It happened to me. And I wish I'd known this when I was going through my ch-ch-ch-changes. So let me be very clear on this point. There is nothing wrong with you when it's time to make a pivot. There's not necessarily anything wrong with your business or your team either. Be willing to drop that judgment. Don't hate on yourself or anyone or anything else because you're making a pivot. Recognize that things aren't working the way you want them to, and it's time for a change. And then make the change. Assess what's working or not and keep iterating. Many times that pivot will take you in an even better direction. Shania Twain, Katy Perry, and yes, Taylor Swift all had more successful music careers when they pivoted from where they started into a new genre that felt more aligned for them. Even my own Creative Freedom Incubator started life as a pivot for two people me and a close friend of mine. Matt was a high school teacher looking to get his side hustle off the ground. He developed an easy to use, even easier to implement set of learning materials for teachers who don't speak a foreign language to use to help their students learn that language in the classroom. So an elementary school teacher bringing Spanish into the classroom would have a way to teach the kids Spanish with confidence and greater ease, even if they never took a single semester of Spanish in their entire lives. And he did this for multiple languages like Arabic and Russian. And I'm like, and it was so easy to translate from one language to the other. That's how he was able to be so prolific. But he wasn't flush with cash. And he wanted to do some kind of commission-based arrangement to help get this business off the ground. 
Now, I wasn't too keen on putting in a bunch of legwork to launch his business on the promise of future compensation that may or may not appear. Plus, I had my own lifestyle needs to deal with. I was preparing for a divorce and a move away from pretty much everyone I knew to Nashville. And this wasn't long after the story that I wrote about in my book, where I had basically given over my power to a coach that I'd been working with, which pretty much destroyed my business. I was just getting into the discovery phase of what eventually became the creative freedom entrepreneur type spectrum. I hadn't written that book yet. And here Matt was with a company that I believed in, but no real offer that could work for him or me. So we came to a compromise. He'd pay me a small retainer to cover my costs, and then we'd do a split of any additional money that he made when schools signed the contracts and paid him. It was cleaner this way because he could help the schools write grants and get grant money to pay for his program, and then he could pay me once those checks cleared and I didn't have to take ownership in his company, and I got paid regardless, but I also had a vested interest in seeing him succeed because of the commission relationship that we had going on. That was the very beginning of what became the Creative Freedom Incubator. I've tweaked it and iterated on it a few times over the years. And as I record this, we're about to roll out one of the biggest upgrades and changes ever to the program. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. (laughs) But the premise is still the same. My company makes an investment of time and resources in a creative entrepreneur that I believe in, and we work together to bring it into a profitable and sustainable place. The creative entrepreneur keeps all the ownership interest and pays us based on the results of the company. We call it pay for results. We've been doing it for almost six years now. I still remember doing coaching sessions with that first cohort sitting on the floor in my empty Nashville apartment (laughs) using a shipping box as a desk for my laptop. We've come a long way, baby. But that pivot wouldn't have happened if my life had stayed the way it was. And that's one of the first signs that it's time for a pivot when your business isn't supporting your lifestyle or your definition of success. So what does success look like to you? How do you define it? Is it about free time? Is it about being able to take a long lunch in the middle of the day if you want? Is it about autonomy, being the one to call the shots and make the important decisions? Is it about ownership, having nice things, experiences, or is it something else? What do you need to be, do, have, or experience in order to call yourself, your life, and your work a success? Now, here's a tip. It doesn't have to look like what other people tell you it should look like. (laughs) You don't need to be shooting on yourself, as I like to say. You can want what other people have, and you can want what other people have said you should want, but only if that's really true for you. Otherwise, you're falling into the trap of wanting what other people want and not wanting what you really want. I've talked before about wanting what you want the way that you want it. Whether or not you can actually get it is a whole other story, but you can't begin to get it if you don't own the truth of what is it that you really want. And I'll tell you from experience that this can be tricky. Sometimes you think you want something because it's been ingrained in you. For years, I thought I wanted a six-figure income, but I wanted other things more, so that six-figure income never materialized. So then I started thinking I really didn't want a six-figure income and started prioritizing other things because, well, six figures isn't really important after all. But then I came to the realization that you've probably heard me talk about before, the six-figure imperative. And there's a link in the show notes to a blog post that I wrote a few years back that explains it more deeply. Basically, I did the math. And my business needed to make roughly double whatever I wanted to live on personally. That meant if I wanted a modest U.S. income of around $50,000, my company needed to be bringing in $100,000. 
there's that six figures. And that math comes from the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. It's a tool that I use and recommend to all my clients when it comes to making your business profitable and sustainable. So if my definition of success included a personal income of $50,000, my company had to be making, had to make six figures. No longer a want or a don't want. It was an imperative if my definition of success was truly important to me. So take a look at your life and your work. What kind of freedom do you want your business to help you have or create? What are the gaps between the vision of success you want for yourself and where you're currently at? Now, if you're not sure, let's do a little real-time exercise right here. I call it the magic paintbrush. And when I work with my clients, we usually act this out. So, you know, in your mind's eye, imagine I'm handing you this magical paintbrush, okay? I actually hold up an imaginary paintbrush and point it to them. And I'm like, okay, you've got the magic paintbrush. You can paint the picture of your life and work to look and feel any way you want it to. So take that paintbrush and what do you want it to look and feel like? What kind of life do you want to be living? What kind of work do you want to be doing? Who do you want to most be working with, serving, or helping? Who do you want to be reaching with your great work? Take a minute and really think about, settle into, let your body rest on. If I could have it any way I wanted it to, this is the way it would be. That's what I talk about when I talk about wanting what you want the way that you want it. Katy Perry and Taylor Swift both recognized that they'd never make the impact that they wanted to and reach the number of fans that they knew were meant for them if they stayed in their original musical genres. Katy was in Christian music. Taylor was in country. As outsiders, they both took big risks, leaving the audience that they had started with in order to move elsewhere. But for them... It wasn't nearly as risky as staying put. When you and your business aren't in alignment, when you're not in sync, in harmonious resonance with each other, the discord can be incredibly painful. Remember last episode when I talked about wearing a mask? That idea that people are falling in love with the wrong person, with someone who's not you? That becomes deeply painful. Most creatives I know want to be fully self-expressed. And Katy Perry couldn't do what she's doing now if she'd stayed in Christian music. Taylor Swift couldn't do most of what she's doing now had she stayed in country music. Now, I realize I talk about these women not because I'm a fan of their work. I'm a fan of their courage and their confidence. They knew themselves better than other folks did. They knew what they really wanted. (laughs) They wanted it the way they wanted it. And they went after it. That is what inspires me. And we'll talk more in season seven about how to develop that kind of confidence and courage, but it all comes from clarity. Perry and Swift both had immense clarity that what they were doing wasn't working for them and it was time for a change. Like it or not, most of the time, the pivot comes out of discomfort. And I mean, if you're comfortable and things are going well, you're not likely to be trying to rock the boat and shake things up, right? But there's another symptom a little less personal and a bit more business focused. Your offers aren't selling or they aren't selling like they used to. That's also a big sign that it might be time for a pivot. From that list of 15 companies that got their start selling something else, we have David McConnell and the California Perfume Company. Back in the 1800s, so we're going way back in the Wayback Machine, David was going door to door selling books. 
But even then, door-to-door sales was a grind. So David used some bait to get the female customers to open the door and listen to him. He gave away little bottles of perfume. Little gifts of perfume. Hey, open the door. I've got some perfume. And then let me tell you about my books. (laughs) And David quickly discovered that people were more interested in the perfume than the books. So he pivoted and he founded the California Perfume Company, which we now know today as Avon, that direct selling cosmetics company that is now a global brand. Sounds like that pivot went okay. Or how about 3M? Did you ever wonder what the 3M actually stood for? Well, they got their start as the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company. There's your 3Ms right there. Back in 1902, they thought they were mining corundum to be used in sandpaper and grinding wheels. But oops, that was not the case. Instead, what they found was a much softer, more inferior rock. So they couldn't exactly stick with their original business plan. They were forced to pivot or die. They decided instead to find an investor and make sandpaper themselves instead of providing the raw materials for other people to make them. And that's how they were known for a while as a sandpaper company. You can still go into hardware stores and find 3M sandpaper. But it was really their spirit of innovation that made them the global brand that they are today. About 10 years into the business, they invented 3Mite abrasive cloth, which was a cloth that you could use to polish instead of sandpaper. 20 years in, they developed a waterproof sandpaper for the automotive industry, followed by masking tape and then cellophane tape. And that innovation led 3M to double down on research and testing, and they built 3M's Central Research Lab. It's a space that has brought you things like reflective coatings on street signs, sound recording tape, copy machines, gift wrap ribbons, videotape, scotch guard for your upholstery, double-sided tape, surgical tape, the precursor to AstroTurf, color copy machines, insulate for winter gloves, and of course, post-it notes. (laughs) And that's just their timeline into the 1980s. They've done a lot since then. 3M pivoted first from mining to manufacturing, and then relatively quickly into research, primarily adhesives and coatings, but research and innovation are what they really offer. Not bad for a company that started off accidentally mining the wrong rock. So take a look at your offers, both the free offers that you have and the paid ones. Which ones are getting the attention, the attraction, and the interest? Maybe there's something in there that you need to look at. Why are people choosing those offers over other ones? And is it your audience of raving fans that's choosing this or is it somebody else? Maybe you just need to tweak what you're doing. Like 3M moving from mining for sandpaper makers to actually making the sandpaper themselves. Or maybe you need to make a bigger shift like David McConnell and stop giving away the thing that you need to be selling and start an entirely new venture. Pay attention to the why behind this. Why is your audience choosing this offer over the others? Now for McConnell, women were more interested in perfume than books. That was fairly self-evident. For Henri Matisse, the why was more personal. The painter was aging and his eyesight was fading. And what started as a way to visualize a painting before he started it soon became his primary mode of creativity. Matisse used to cut paper and then lay it out like paint so that he could visualize what the finished piece would look like before he put paint on the canvas. He'd cut and arrange and often rearrange the paper cutouts until it looked the way he wanted it to, and then he'd paint. 
But as his eyesight started to go, it became harder to paint. So instead, he just kept cutting the paper, but turned that into his creative medium of choice. Now, some say that he was one of the most innovative artists of his time and that his paper cutouts are actually better than some of his paintings. And it probably never would have happened had his health not started to change. It'd be like going from selling homemade cookies to selling the dough. Unless you had a need to serve a different market, you probably wouldn't think to make a pivot like that. But sometimes, you know, it's not about you. Sometimes your audience has changed. Maybe the audience you've been serving doesn't fit you anymore. Or maybe you've realized that the audience buying from you was never really your raving fans to begin with. Or, as was the case for me, that your audience of raving fans is really a subset of the audience that you've been serving and you'd now really like to focus in more on them. When it's time to pivot your audience, you'll need to work on your messaging. If you want your old audience back, then it's just about tweaks. But if you like this new audience that you're growing, and I do, it's a pivot. As I've said before, I've been online for nigh on 30 years now. So I've done and seen and served a lot in that time. I started with an audience of direct sales professionals, folks who wanted to build a real business, not have an expensive hobby. Now in that audience, there were leaders who saw a bigger vision for their team and for themselves. And they wanted to be speaking and on stages and leading the training and creating their own training and not just for their sales organizations, but reaching a larger audience. They saw direct sales as a stepping stone to their next thing, as did I. So that was a slice of a slice. But when I started talking to them, other entrepreneurs started showing up too. So I had refined this messaging to speak to them and other people were also showing up, specifically stay-at-home moms. And that was a much wider audience, not a narrower audience. So I shifted my messaging again, thinking that would help me continue to reach the right folks. Only it didn't work for me. The more I worked with clients, the more clients I worked with. <laughs> and the more I realized that I wanted to be working with visionaries. Let me, let me qualify that. I wanted to work with people who had visions of reaching larger audiences with messages or movements or other great work that can make a difference and a positive impact on their world. Plus, that was where I felt like I was doing my best work, but that wasn't who was showing up. Nothing against mompreneurs, because I was one myself. I am one myself. But that wasn't the audience that I could do my best work for. So I had to step out and actively declare my new audience creative entrepreneurs, I had to actively speak to them, advocate for them, and start blogging and creating content that helped them see that I understood them. And yeah, some of my mompreneur audience was still in that camp and they came along for the ride, but a lot of people fell away. I watched my email list drop by more than half when I made that pivot. And it's taken time to rebuild that audience too. And then last year, I started fleshing out this star power framework, which you'll hear more about in future episodes. And it became clear that even creative entrepreneurs was a guilt trip audience for me. And by that, I mean, I had chosen to serve creative entrepreneurs, this giant swath of an audience, because I felt guilty about wanting to niche down further. Once I wrote the book, Creative Freedom, the entire entrepreneur spectrum was out there in the world for everybody to see, but I was the only person teaching this stuff and working with clients in this way. So I felt guilty, like I had to work with everyone on the spectrum because I was the only person out there. Plus I thought I should work with everyone so that I had the experience of what it's like to work with all the different creative types. But that guilt and shooting on myself kept me out of my zone of genius. 
What I do exceptionally well is help people find where the real money is in their business, craft their business model to fit what works for them, and then create a space of safety and support to help them increase their capacity to unleash their personal star power. But not everyone on the creative spectrum wants to be a star, a celebrity in their niche. And so I was doing myself and them a disservice by not niching down further. So this time it's less of a pivot and more of a tweak. But moving from mompreneurs to creatives was definitely an audience pivot. Now it's an offering pivot, sort of, to a subset of the audience of creatives that I've been serving. And with that, I had to adjust my messaging. I mentioned previously the work that I've done with Dr. Michelle Mazur to refine that messaging. Well, I also hired a copywriter to turn that messaging into email and sales copy for the new Star Power Mastermind that's rolling out later this year. Clarity helps you make more confident decisions, which helps you take more courageous action. I'm in a place now where I actually have the clarity I need to be able to say, this is who I serve. This is who I get the best results for. And I can now invite those folks to work with me to get those great results. Will other people show up? Sure. And I have the option to be able to be more selective about who it is that I'm actually working with. So maybe it's your offer, maybe it's your audience, or maybe it's you. Have your values changed? One more example from the music world here. A good friend of mine, Tatiana Taichi Cameron. I tell people she was basically the Madonna of Croatia back in the 90s. She's about 19 or 20 when her star rose as a contestant in the Eurovision music competition. And whenever she goes back home to visit, she's still swamped by fans of her own music. Tai Chi is this petite blonde who could have passed for Marilyn Monroe when she was all dolled up. Probably still could. I think she's stunning. Anyways, at one point, Tai Chi was so successful, they made an action figure in her image. Think Barbie doll. But this was like a Tai Chi doll (laughs) wearing the orange and gold dress with her hair in the wavy blonde bob that she'd become known for. For a whole generation of folks, Tai Chi was a household name and she was a teen idol. Now, when I met her, She mostly left that life behind in favor of raising her three sons and working on music that mattered to her. She lives in the Nashville area now, and it was her spare room that I slept in when I first landed in this town, not really knowing a soul back in 2016. We met at a Facebook group for an online course that we were both taking, and then we met in person a few months later, I think, about a month, maybe two, and we became fast friends. So one day I'm standing at her joint and she shows me this doll, which sits on a shelf in her office. And she explained to me that at the height of her career, they wanted her to be somebody that she wasn't. When you're an impressionable kid vying for stardom, you'll pretty much do whatever people in power tell you will make you a star. Do this. Okay. Sing at this event. Go to this signing. Be on this show. Okay, cool. Tell me when and where and I'm there. But as Tai Chi became more and more confident as a performer and as a young woman, She was faced with industry insiders, producers, and power players that kept trying harder and harder to get her to become the doll. Stay in the box. Keep doing what you've already done and ride that wave of so-called success so that they could cash in their big paydays. But that's not who Tai Chi is. She's smart and deeply caring. She's an incredible human being. She's deeply concerned about social justice issues. She's advocated tirelessly for the work of Thistle Farms, which helps women who were victims of trafficking, prostitution, and addiction get their lives back through meaningful work. And Mothers Over Murder, which is a national peacekeepers movement that provides hope and help to parents of murdered children in the community. And I will put links to both of their organizations in the show notes as well, because they're doing good work and you need to know about it. But Tai Chi didn't want to live in the box. 
because she knew she was so much more than what the box could contain. She made the choice to leave the music scene in Croatia and come to the United States and start a new journey here. That journey has taken her into many musical directions and gave her the opportunity to co-write a song that was recorded by Olivia Newton-John, another household name for a whole generation of folks. So I guess for Tai Chi, it wasn't so much that her values changed as much as her values became more evident and she was more willing to share those values, even if it meant alienating an audience that had come to want her to show up in a certain way. Remember last episode when I talked about that mask? You can drive yourself into a deep resentment if your raving fans are all falling in love with the mask, or in Tai Chi's case, a doll, that only represents a fraction of who you really are. Now, if you're recognizing yourself in that story, it may be time for a pivot. Maybe you've realized you're more passionate about some things and not others, or that some of the values that have been important to you aren't as important now, or they're even more important for you to highlight. Are your old values inhibiting you from doing business in the way that you like? If these new values or newly articulated values are creating a space for new offers or a new business model, then it might be time for a pivot. John Deere started as a blacksmith and a dang good one. (laughs) He'd made a name for himself smithing plows for the local farmers. And when his local economy tanked up in New England, he relocated to the Midwest. I mean, that's kind of a big pivot. It's a location pivot, right? His new clients, though, would complain that the Midwest mud was sticky and thick and it would cling to the plow blades, making it really problematic to efficiently plow a field after a hard rain. Now, Deer could have kept doing what every smith was doing, just shrug their shoulders and keep fixing the cast iron plows. There was certainly good money in it. But one of John Deere's values was an insistence on selling only the best quality. He simply wanted to be the best. And the best that he'd been offering wasn't working in the Midwest mud. So he worked on developing a shiny steel plow that would basically clean itself off as it went along doing its job plowing the dirt. And people loved them. His reputation for excellence as a smithy preceded him into manufacturing. He built a water-powered manufacturing facility and started cranking out his new plows, which is how Deere and Company got its start as a maker of farm machinery and equipment. So If your raving fans aren't raving, or they never were, maybe it's time for a tweak, but it could also be time for a pivot, even if what you were doing was making you really good money before. Plus, here's something you probably already know, but haven't admitted to yourself yet. People can tell when you're mailing it in. They know when your heart's not in it anymore. If your passion's gone, if you've lost that love and feeling, or your audience has, it's time for a pivot. Have you been enjoying this podcast? If so, first, thanks. Second, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a quick message, either on email or the socials, and tell me why you listen. What is it that keeps you tuned in for more updates from Creative Freedom HQ? We just might feature you in the future. All this talk about your target audience means that the next time we'll be talking about your target audience. (laughs) How exactly do we target an audience? And what does that mean for your business? We'll talk about that next time. So be sure that you're subscribed to our show to get notifications about our upcoming episodes. I hope we'll see you there. And until then, for more inspiration and education to help you end the hustle and own your dreams without selling your soul, come see what's shaken over at lisarobinyoung.com. You know you want to. 